Okay, everyone. Uh, hello uh, to the heavily biased guitar reviews. This is the VCGS podcast, and the, today's date is November 1st, 2021. Uh, my name is Alec Peterson, and I'm joined by Joel Thompson, uh, our, my co-host for the evening. And our guests today are David Sosa and Luis Medina. Uh, before we begin, I'd like to thank our sponsors, Lockheed Engineering, and a new sponsor we're bringing on, uh, Transsoft Solutions. Um, if you're listening to this and you have a business and you're interested in sponsoring the Guitar Society here in Vancouver, uh, we do have a fund matching program in place right now until December 1st, and uh, any funds uh, sponsorship amounts of $200 or more will be matched. So please uh, contact us at info at vancouverguitar.org. Um, full disclosure, uh, David Sosa and Luis Medina are... Um, current or past volunteers of the Guitar Society as well. Uh, and we are all at one point another uh, schoolmates at UBC School of Music. So this is, I'm looking forward to this. It's gonna be a really fun chat. It's been a while since we all got together um, in the same space, this is virtual space today. And uh, this podcast is here to promote our gala concert on November 6th. Um, where David Sosa and Luis Medina will be playing solo pieces and some duets, I hear, uh, alongside uh, a few more performers, including the Vancouver Guitar Orchestra and the Capilano uh, Guitar Trio. So that info is also on vancouverguitar.org. Uh, so please check that out. Buy some tickets. We have a live stream going on. So if you're listening to this podcast from somewhere way outside of Vancouver, you can still join in and watch that as well. So welcome guys. Uh, I thought maybe it would be nice just to ask you guys a little bit about what your program is and what you're playing and maybe you can just talk, talk to us a little bit about that. Sounds like a plan. Who David, wants to do you want to go first? <laughs> I want to volunteer David. <laughs> I can go first. I can go first. So hey guys, thank you so much for the invitation and hello to everybody who is listening to us now. I'm going to play music from, from a program that I'm going to bring to Colombia in South America this year. I will be playing there in December, and I'm going to play four short pieces from that program. All of, all of them are uh, music from South America. So it includes two pieces by Brazilian composer Luis Bonfa. One is Mania de Carnaval, and the other one is Samba de Feo. Then I will play uh, music, for, music from Argentina. Uh, it's called Alfonsina y el Mar, or Alfonsina and the Sea. And finally, a piece from Colombia, the place where I grew up. Uh, this type of music is called cumbia, and it's um, an arrangement by Colombian guitarist and composer Gentil Montaña. So my program is going to be uh, music from South America, and then I will play with Luis some duets. Also, South American music, something from Argentina, a milonga and uh, a piece by Celso Machado, composer from Brazil, who lives here in, in, in Canada. So that's the, the program. That's awesome. How about you, uh, Luis? Well, <clears throat> recently, I, I'm just gonna go into it. Um, I'm gonna be playing a suite uh, called Imágenes de Yucatán, or Images of Yucatán, for those 
know a little bit of Mexican geography, Yucatan is one of the uh, states uh, in the Gulf of Mexico. Anyway, this piece was uh, written for uh, another Mexican guitarist named Cecilio Pereira. And it was, you know, it's in three movements. And each one takes after, I guess, a scene or a different town or city in Yucatan. Uh, the first movement is called Merida. Then we go into Paseo Montejo, which is a more sort of like folky, traditional sound piece. And the last one is titled Chichen Itza, which is the, um, the area where the, um, the Mayan ruins are all of the pyramids so it has a little bit of um, I guess it, it tries to encompass the different images of the city where it starts with uh, it sounds to me like it's influenced by First Nations sounds and music um, and then it goes into a different sort of like uh, music that has you know gone through the city at the moment so there's some salsa sounds and kind of cool like that so that's what I'm going to be playing. I'm going to be playing uh, this Imágenes de Yucatán by the Mexican composer Julio Cesar Oliva. Yeah, and of course, we'll be closing the first half with some fun duets that David and I decided to just try and put together last minute. <laughs> It'll be fun. That sounds pretty dope, dude. When when was this suite written? It was written in 2014. Nice. Yeah. It's a yeah. very it's a very recent work when you think about it. Yeah, yeah, it's got some. That's like a lot of sort of like Albanese vibes too, right? Like, it's very kind of like nationalist in a way, but it's like I guess it's made almost like a new nationalism because, like you say, it's like taken from a lot of like indigenous music and stuff, like too. Like that's not that's all something. of it, but yeah, for sure. That there's a, a certain uh, folk element in Oliva's music. Uh, it's really funny uh, today. It's the only time that I was able to pin down uh, a meeting with Jeffrey McFadden, Dr. Jeffrey McFadden, um, because I wanted to talk to him about what I could do, sort of like start doing for research towards uh, next year when I started DMA. And plan B seems to be of getting enough, like more traction, which is doing research on Julio Cesar Oliva's music. And we just got chatting a little bit, and I realized that he kind of mirrors this whole... Um, trend of composers where they go and study their folk roots significantly. There's a lot of, you know, during their lives, a significant period where they arrange folk music and then they go on and experiment. And then later in their life, they sort of like have a more cohesive, like more clear idea of what their personal, uh, I guess, artist view, artistic view is. So that's kind of like where this piece fits in. It's more like later in his life at this point which is very much a crystallization of that, all of that folkness, his experimentation, and now what he might feel like is his own, you know, I guess, view on music. So is Olivas, like, he's like a middle-aged guy now at this point, hey? Not quite middle-aged. He's, uh, I think, 72. Okay, yeah, a little bit past that. Then. A yeah. little bit past the middle-aged. So he would have been in yeah, the, like, 60s when he wrote your piece. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, so he's got like a huge trajectory as a composer. Um, I was try trying to talk to him into writing a new piece, commission a new piece, and he was like, well, why don't I just dedicate something to you that I've already written? Because I have like oh, over man. 300 pieces that aren't, uh, they haven't been published or dedicated to anybody. That's a, that's so, a pretty good, good one for the resume. Eh? I've, got a, I've right? got a piece dedicated to me. It's not bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm in talks with this, but like, you know, um, 
it's uh so yeah he has just a ton of music um and the thing is i don't think there's anything published in the past 15 20 years so it's really hard to find his music unless you've you know met him directly um or somehow know somebody who has the score to something else um there, there is this guitarist from uh, who's in texas right now his name is hector rodriguez and he literally just posted a, a recording of himself like last week of this suite Mexicana written by, um, by Oliva that you can't find the, uh, the score for whatsoever. The only way that he got the score is because that piece was dedicated to his teacher. So that's kind of like looking for music by Oliva is like a Easter egg hunt. <laughs> it's good luck finding them, you know, if you believe that it exists to start with. Uh, so yeah. It's does really he, interesting. Does he not have a publisher for his works, or no? He used yeah, to. Was, like, he used to publish ask, some like, things. I was gonna say, like, I listened to some of his uh, music after you introduced me, and his mm-hmm. compositional style is like very mature and developed, and works really nicely on the guitar. So it's kind of surprising to me that he's like such a obscure, obscure? Mm-hmm. yeah, obscure figure. Luis is gonna change all of that. Just watch. By the sounds of it, I just might have to, you know, I'm going to have to take a trip, a trip down to Mexico City, talk to him, do research and see if he can be gracious enough to pass on his music and make, try and help to make his music more widely available. But we'll see. Yeah. Sorry, Adam, you were going to say something? Yeah, I'm just, just having some problems with the connection. Are you guys like, able to... To hear me well? Uh, most of the time. You're, of the you time. are cutting in and out a little bit, though. Maybe maybe I can connect from my phone. It's going to be a thing better. Maybe I can sure. just go out and just... You got, yeah, let me just do that, and I will be back just in less than a minute. Okay. All right, we'll see you in a minute. Many hours later. Uh, sorry, we were resuming recording now. We just had some con- connection issues there. And the floor is yours, David. <laughs> Sorry, sorry guys about that. Really bad connection today. I don't know why. Usually it's very, very stable. But yeah, sorry about that. So uh, what I was telling is that uh, it is very, very common that many composers from Central America and South America, they don't, they don't really like publish uh, their works. I have met many people, especially in South America, and they have like tons of compositions, very, very nice music, but nobody knows about them. Only like their students, but they don't have it like on books. It's a chain that they don't. Maybe maybe it's a lack of motivation and also lack of resources. It's maybe a little mm-hmm. bit hard for them to just to do it. I know. I know that um, even like in other other fields, like uh, scholarship from. I mean, like what's often called like the global south, right? Like basically anywhere south of like Texas. Right. Uh, like it's, it's incredibly hard for these people to get published or taken seriously in a lot of, a lot of circles. Right. Which I think is, is, is pretty tragic. And yeah, I'm, I'm not terribly surprised. It is saddened, obviously, though, that it's, it's the same in, in music. Yeah. yeah well, it's, yeah. it sounds like from what Luis was telling me about, um, this guy is that like all his scores are handwritten and like, does he have a, like a website or anything where he can put things up? Like, so it sounds like he needs someone to open yeah. up Finale or Sibelius and like notate his scores into something nicely electronic, and then someone who's like savvy enough with the internet to just like put it out there. He needs a scribe. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, sometimes it's, it's very, like for me, it's, it's like very strange, but sometimes they have the opportunities. They can create their own website. They have, let's say, money to, to publish, but they just, don't, they just don't want to do it. They just do it for fun. I've talked to mm -hmm. some of them, like, why don't you do it? It's like, yeah, just do it for fun. I'm not really looking for, like, to make it bigger. I almost feel like they suffer of that, um, I guess, issue of the great artist's mind. You know, they do art for the sake of art, you know, for themselves. Mm -hmm. So there's no, you know, extrinsic motivation to do this other than just for the sake of it. Um, so, you know, it's like, well, I remember who, when I was talking to Oliva, uh, when we were chatting, we were connecting through email about how, what would it take to commission a piece? And I was like, well, do you have a fee? Do you have an idea of how much, you know? He was like, well, I really don't know because I don't do com uh, commissions. I just write for the sake of writing. I'm not looking for fame or money. I just do it for the sake of music. So it's like, that's one of the reasons that he's probably so such a great composer, you know, is that it's only for the pure sake of it. Uh, but it just makes it very complicated for anybody else, like mortals like myself, who just want to play his music, you know? Uh, it sounds like he's he's pretty open to the idea of people actually playing his music. It's just a matter of... Oh, for sure. You got to have a person like you or whoever, right? Like just actually keeping their ears open enough and actually willing to go and find these dudes like once or, right. or, or gals uh yeah. once once the yeah <laughs> so good on you man maybe i'll maybe i'll end up playing a bunch of this guy's music now too sounds like it's good i'll have to find it, it it's fun you'll i mean um for those who tuned into the uh, festival concert um i played that piece then um so you know you can get a sense of what it was what it sounds like and plus there's actually cool I mean, if you just input on spotify julio cesar oliva you'll see f quite a bit of works like quite a few pieces himself uh, playing it or other performers uh, recording his music but it's you can listen to it yeah but it's not, just a, that the not pieces a catalog of the last of 20 years not a catalog yeah no that. definitely not <laughs> yeah um jeff brought to my attention that um there's this uh what, what did he call it gsp um i forget the name any gsp publications have three pieces by him in his catalog. I mean, that's nothing in comparison, right? So yeah, like just being able to go and check all the music, that would be amazing. Just making it widely available because um, I really I really think his music is worthy of becoming sort of like part of the core repertoire of classical guitar. I really think so. Um, I showed Alec one of his pieces called Sonatango. And I was kind of telling him, it sounds like, you know, Piazzolla and Ponce had a baby, and that was Julio Cesar Oliva. You know, it's it's his music is just highly lyrical, very harmonically intense as well. So, you know, it is quite, quite good music, I think. Uh, sounds fascinating. It, it would be great, of course, to like just have more core composers, especially ones that, you know, are not uh dead <laughs> in our in our curricula you know what i mean like we have very very few of those it feels like you know we got like right. Bogdanovich and like uh Brower and who sorry Dians. 
Assad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Diaz uh, is no longer with us, unfortunately. <laughs> Although his, mod, his music will yeah. be considered modern for quite some time, I think, still. Right. Right, which uh, right. is a testament to him, but yeah, yeah, it would be great to have a bit more. I mean, there's also Brian Johansson, but like it's, th but there's the point is there's certainly right. not that many, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know much about uh, other instruments, right? But like, I, I, I gotta think that they, they're doing better than we are. <laughs> yeah. What I else wonder, do you guys yeah. have on, on the horizon after this uh, upcoming concert? I saw David, you're going back to Colombia to do some performances. Yeah, I will be back uh, in December after two, almost two years and a half. I haven't been able to do it because of, of COVID. So yeah, this time I will go, I will have a concert on December 11th with a saxophone, saxophone player. I'm going to do some uh, jazz in Latin American music, also classical music. And then on the 18th, I will play a solo concert. It will be called South America, the music from the 12, 12 uh, South American countries. And that, uh, that concert is going to be in a special place for me because I used to play in that theater so many times when I was younger and living in Colombia. And I haven't played there since maybe 12 or 13 years ago. Like a wow. special special concert, so I have just like like that uh, this month, next month. Yeah, that's awesome. Are you going to be recording your concerts or anything like that? Yes, I know that the first one is going to be uh, streamed live. I will post a link on Facebook or on Instagram. Not sure about the second, but I yeah, I think we can make it like a recording or something. Definitely. Nice. So I, I know the last time I, I spoke to you, David, uh, you were you were playing this. I think this same set, right? Yes. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've been doing this one for a little while. You were you were telling me too that you were. Did you ever manage to actually like record all these songs or? No, no, I, I didn't record it. I, oh. I, I got the, I got the idea of doing this in 2018. Okay, so I was okay, yeah. going to do the recording, and I got a bad bad injury that made me stop playing guitar for six months. I didn't play at all for six months, so I had to stop that. Then I started like recovering a little bit. I played the, that program, the South America program. I played it in, in London, London, England two times, Italy and Colombia. But this time I'm going to play the game, but in a different city. So it's like for other other type of audience, not in the same same place yet. Okay. Are you still thinking about uh, making this a, a CD eventually or? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Eventually though, maybe uh, in the, the operative I, word. Yeah, I think I think this this coming year I, I will record it. Yeah, I I really want to do it, but some always there, there is always something that, that happens. First was the injury, then I had something else. Like life, life is telling me not to do it, but I I will try to do it. It's yeah. a little bit cursed, then, eh? That's yeah. unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> I will do it. I will record it this this year. Hopefully. And don't let the universe beat you, man. Just show this boss. <laughs> How is your playing now, like post injury, compared to like pre injury? Like, what do you do differently to to take care of that? That's always something I'm curious when I hear. Yeah, the, about that. The, I, I got the injury really like it was my my fault. Yeah, one hundred percent. I was um, let's say that I used to practice around one hour and two hours, two hours maximum every day in that time, two thousand eighteen. 
And then I got uh, some things. I got um, a tour with Romilio. You remember Romilio Orellana, right? The guitarist mm-hmm. from Chile. I, I yes. was going to play concerts in Chile with him and also some concerts in Colombia with a flute, flute player. So it was like a big, big a load of things, a lot of new repertoire. So I went from, let's say, two hours. I went from maybe seven, eight hours every day just practicing. Oh, wow. So I started, yeah, like really, really bad because I... I I, I had limited limited time before the concerts, and I had a lot of things to learn, so I wanted to do it. And one day, I, I never got an injury, right? I, I've been playing guitar for 20, 22 years. Yeah, 22 years. Only that injury. So I was like, very confident, and one day I, was, I just got the guitar. I was tuning, and I just did this movement, and I felt like here in my thumb, the, the tendon. Imagine like if you have um, a knife, and someone does like this, like... It was like a really, really bad uh, feeling, a bad pain. So I was like, okay, like what happened? So I started stretching again, taking it easy. I started playing and no problem. Next day, I felt a little bit like that. And there was a moment, maybe four days after that, I couldn't play at all. I, I didn't, I, I wasn't able to do C major. By doing C major chord, felt like a big, big, big stretch. So I just started learning the repertoire without playing the guitar like just looking at the notes it was also something positive that i learned how to do but uh, for your question what i'm doing now is that i always uh, stretch and warm up even more than before and every time every time that i feel like a little a little pain or something i always stop i never i don't let it like like grow that was my my mistake before i started feeling some pain and i didn't really stop and it became like really really bad yeah, I recently had um, Alan Liu, who people listening know just uh, finished fourth in the GFA finals, like the, the biggest mm-hmm. guitar competition. He's a young yeah. player. And uh, I had him play for the studio at UVC, and we were asking him like about his practice routine. And so he's like practicing six hours a day also. At least, and he, huh? and he sp- And he says he spends the first hour and a half just lightly warming up and... Yeah. <laughs> Just like, you know, a big a big chunk of that is just taking care of the hands and getting into it like slowly and lightly. It is incredibly athletic at when you're starting to deal with those sorts of time periods that you're playing at, right? Like, it's not like the way I play, right? Which is just like, oh, well, I really feel like I'm going to play some guitar right now and it's going to be an absolute blast. So here we go, picking it up and just diving right in, right? But like, yeah, I, I can't, I don't actually play for that long each day, right? I can imagine that if I got to go so, for like a long marathon, it's going to be different. <laughs> yeah, also I know from like my experience too, like when you have those periods where you get more practice than usual, you feel like you pick up the guitar and you feel like you're more on top of it, like right from the get-go, you know? Cause oh yeah, you're definitely. just practicing a lot the day before. So you want to get into it right away instead of like taking the patience to <laughs> actually go um, through like some kind of routine or something yeah but like i think if you're going to be doing that in a sustained manner right you got to be actually smart about it unlike me yeah. <laughs> yeah. i never i never studied for that long not even during my bachelor's or my master's it was only during that that time preparing for the concerts and i'm not going to do it anymore and there are other things that <laughs> we prefer to do but yeah it was it was like a bad experience but also brought some positive uh, things to my life so i just learned from that and move on and i think that now my plan is 
at the same level it was before before the injury. I can just play like good again, yeah, normally. No pain. Yeah. Do you uh do you approach your teaching differently with this like experience? Uh, the teaching well I, I I made more more emphasis like on the warm up and also telling my students to always be super careful if they start feeling something strange in their bodies. And just pay attention to that because there, there are so many different types of injuries. But if you get what I got, it was, um, I don't know the, the word in English, tendo, tendonitis, 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 yeah. That takes a lot of time, a lot of time to, to recover. So after I got that, I was able to travel to Chile and Colombia and play the concerts. But it was it's a very long, long story. And after that, I had to stop completely for six months. I couldn't even even play. It was the only way to get rid of the the injury and like completely healed. Because at the beginning, I was trying to play a little bit, but it was worse and worse. Only when you stop. So, yeah, something that like we need we need to pay attention to. Something very very serious. If you get that tendonitis or something, that can take so many months until you get rid of it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it is, it is mostly just a waiting game, right? Like once you've actually hit that point where you're like really truly injured, right? Like there's no extra steps you can take to really like speed up the process. There's no pill you can take. You just have to like not play basically for like half a year or something, right? Like exactly. Not playing in a lot of, a lot of physiotherapy. Physiotherapy. Yeah. That helped, helped me a lot. <clears throat> physiotherapy. Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cool. And uh, uh, since you guys are all from, since we're all from Vancouver, I should say, not just you guys, uh, I wanted to know, like, what do you, how do you guys feel about music and the arts and the guitar in the city? And just, and also your, your impressions of it, since I know, Actually, the only person here out of the four of us who grew up in, in Vancouver is Joel. That's actually me. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> We're not I've never, I've never managed to escape my hometown. It's impossible. This place is a black hole. <laughs> well, you got you got the family and everything there. And I don't know. It's a pretty oh, yeah, nice all place to now. live. There's a, yeah. there's a reason why I came here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just so damn expensive. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely yeah. a downside. So yeah, I'm interested. What do you guys feel about like the state of music in the city, and you know, especially compared to your backgrounds where you're from? Please, David, do you want to jump in? I was gonna say, okay, fine, I'll take it. Um, for me, it's very really strange. <laughs> no, I mean, I I just don't feel like I have a good point of reference because when I grew up in in, in Mexico, to a certain degree. You could say that music, I mean, culture is kind of already embedded into everything. Um, so it's kind of hard to distinguish it. But in terms of um, support for the arts or events and, yeah, I guess just events in general, they, I wouldn't say that there's more in Vancouver or that there's more in Guadalajara. I just simply... When I moved here, I was 17, so it's not like I've had that much of a chance to explore Guadalajara on my own. Now, that being said, um, it was a convenience of where I was geographically in the city that allowed me to go to more concerts, for example. Um, I used to study the, the, the conservatory 
that I took my lessons in was across from the state theater where the um, the main orchestra was and they had dirt cheap tickets for students so we would go and study there in the morning and then in the afternoon or in the evening we were like okay well let's go to watch the, the orchestra so we could just hop over literally just the building um, so in that regard I think the, the, the ease of knowing that the school was so close to the main venue of music that that's what made the difference um, in Vancouver, I get the sense that everything is kind of like spread out. I mean, now with UBC having the Chan Center, it's a little bit different. Um, but for example, the main orchestra in the city is not at the Chan Center, right? It's in downtown. So for UBC students who try to go to, to the Orpheum, it just becomes a little bit of, of a, I guess, of a challenge, an extra challenge to try and go to that. Um, but I don't have that, I guess, back to my point. I don't feel like I have that big of a point of reference to say that, you know, one city is better or more than the other. I, I feel like overall Vancouver may not have that much going on on a regular basis. Like, you, there, you don't have that many places, I feel. But again, it's also hard to, uh, to compare when everything has been essentially inactive for the past year and a half, right? So yeah, that's my very long version of saying I actually don't know. Well, maybe we don't need like a value judgment so much, right? As like a uh, just an idea on on the differences, and I think you you did something for us anyway to sort of explain that, right? Obviously, it's a very very different cultures, right? So yeah, I, I wanted I wanted to ask is uh, Guadalajara because um, I've never been. Is it also a very multicultural city like Vancouver? I would say no. It's very Mexican. In fact, I mean, the state where Guadalajara is in the state of Jalisco, um, and that's like the whole state is known as the birth of mariachi. Like the, the strongest mariachi music comes out of Guadalajara, out of Jalisco. Sorry, not just Guadalajara, but out so of that, that whole state. That whole mariachi culture is from that's my home state. So it's very. But then again, that culture has been. It's getting lost over time. Uh, oh, but multicultural, I would say no. So is that reflected in your art scene then? Like, is it is the style and flavor of art mostly Mexican, or is there like uh, you know a broader appreciation? There's a broader appreciation of things, but I, I like I said, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> in terms of music. Um, I'm putting you on the spot yeah, then. <laughs> yeah, really hardcore. These are my impressions from when I was growing up there, right? Uh, a very strong, for example, we do all think of Mexican music as mariachi music, right? That's like the staple Mexican I was music. I'm sure, yeah, that, that was right? Mexican music. We, they, there's other styles, right? But like, even if you see another style of Mexican music, you'll coin it mariachi, even if it isn't, right? Because that's how strong it is. And it's not a jab at, you know, People calling it mariachi. It's just you know that's how it's present. That's how strong the mariachi presence is in sort of like in the world as Mexican. Um, but even in the state of uh, Jalisco, uh, you see a lot of older generations complaining that musicians, particularly, complaining that the younger generations are not delving into mariachi culture nearly as much. Um, they prefer other styles that are more associated with pop. For example, reggaeton, things that are not deemed as highly cultural. Um, 
but yeah, Damn so kids it, ruining everything as always, right? I suppose so, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, so it, it's hard to say. Mariachi for my parents' generation seemed really strong, like you know the whole serenades and everything. I mean, my dad, for instance, sings mariachi music, and that's like his thing that he loves doing, right? Um, and even as he was growing up, mariachi culture was sort of like diluting into other things. So you can see, you can kind of hear still uh, vestiges of mariachi music in other styles that have come up in the last, you know, decade or in like three decades or so. Um, but it's kind of hard to say. It's present, but not in its original form to coin it. Oh, mariachi music is the main cultural um, drive of, you know, my hometown. Yes, but yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's okay. I think like there's a it this is this is not the discussion for it because we've already been going for a bit, but like it it there's a there's a sort of parallel here um between this mariachi music and the sort of like I want to call it state of uh western classical music in in the western world probably probably a lot in North America maybe more, right? But like mm-hmm. you know, just the idea that it it is it is now something something of of a relic, right? Mhm. Yeah, but yeah, again, I don't want to, I don't want to get into it too much. (laughs) Right. Feels like uh, nowadays things move so fast that it doesn't take long to become a relic. (laughs) I think that's part of it, right? I think, I think people have always been saying that things move really fast these days. I'm, I'm reading something from the like mid late 19th century from Europe and the person's talking about how fast things are moving right now. And it's like, cool, buddy. (laughs) You don't know. (laughs) It's one of those, you could literally, uh it's one of those cliche tropes. Like, you know, everything that's bad was because of the last generation and the next generation. Exactly. I was going to say, you literally go to that 19th century guys and you can say, hold your horses, you know, that phrase had a lot more implications than today. I think he was yeah. very much trying to hold the horses. Yes. I don't That's think right. he succeeded very much though. <laughs> I imagine his rant He's like, I, I had enough having two horses carrying my carriage. What is this four horse thing carrying like, you know, me to places? I'm not that big in a rush, right? It is a danger to the roads. You have such a high, you know, velocity vehicle, right? So much horsepower in carriages these days. That's right. I tell you. <laughs> That's right. Anyway, we should we should hear from David as well. Yeah. What's uh, yeah. what's what's the state of art in Colombia? If you can shed some light on that for us. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think. Okay. There's many things, but just to summarize. I think in terms of uh, pop- popularity, the guitar is like more popular in Colombia than in Canada, right? I think because of the the Spanish Spanish influence, so it's very very common to have, let's say, in the same neighborhood to have maybe ten families with guitars, like very very common. Just to to get an idea, when I did my my masters here at UBC, I remember that we were Maybe you guys remember, maybe eight or nine, nine guitarists. At some point we were 12. Okay, 12 guitarists. Yeah, when I did, when I did my bachelor's in Colombia, it was 60, 60 classical guitarists. What? Like, like the six, same. zero. Six, zero. So it's like a big, wow. big, big thing. Yeah. Uh, so it's very common, right? It's like a very popular instrument. Uh, yeah, like 
almost, almost, I would say that in every family, someone plays guitar. It doesn't mean that plays guitar well, but there is, there is a right. guitar. <laughs> and I think, I think this is, this is a, something that happens from Mexico to Argentina. I think all Central America and all South America is, is just the same, again, because of the Spanish, Spanish influence, right? Not that the guitar, the final mm. result of the guitar came from, from Spain. So, okay. So it's, it's more popular there. Now, in terms of level, I think students, students who are serious about learning the guitar develop higher levels here in Canada or in Vancouver specifically. I think if someone is a, there is a student in Colombia and there is a student in Canada and they are both serious. They want to like become very, very good guitarists. I think in here in Canada, we get like better results, maybe because of the system. Also, maybe the teachers, right? The teachers yeah. that we have in here. So I, think I, wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt that there's a brain drain uh, from South America and Central America up to places that have more money, right? As yeah. far as yeah. teachers go. And then, and then the ones Point in case, there's two of us here, huh? Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> half of the people here are right? <laughs> brain drained straight from. So, and then the ones, and then the ones left over have to look after sixty students. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a lot of students. So, so yeah, I think they can get a level in here. And in terms of, in terms of uh, people attending concerts, uh, Colombia also wins life for like a big, 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 big difference. Like I remember that when Alec, Alec and I played a concert in Colombia together in El Retiro. It's a small town, not, not a city, small town, very, very small town. Uh, we had about 150 people, 150 people in the audience. It was only half half of the theater because I remember that day there was a big, big, big storm. I don't know, Alec, if you yeah, remember was, that. Yeah, I remember what you're saying. It was like pouring. Yeah, and it was after crazy. After the concert, people were coming up and saying like, oh, that was such a great concert. We enjoyed it so much. And if it wasn't raining like this, you know, it would have been, the hall would have been filled. We would have yeah, had 250, but, 200 people. But, but I remember, I remember a conversation that, that we had after the concert. You said that like, oh, it was great because so many people. And for me, because I was used to, to, to play in that place, I said like, like, yeah, it was only like half, half of the theater. But even half of the theater is like bigger than what we have usually, let's say, at the Payette Hall, right? So right. It's just, yeah. just, just because people, yeah, the, the instrument is just more popular, more like more common. So people are just into into those those, those things. But I think Canada offers the possibility to develop it to a higher level to get like better guitarists. You don't see you don't see, let's say, guys there playing like Alan when Alan you was maybe twelve years old. Like I met him at that age. I was like, oh my god, like I never seen a a child playing like like this, right? Also, Hazel and all, all these kids. Yeah, they, in Colombia, I don't see. I, ne I never saw that. That's that's very interesting. That is very interesting. I can definitely relate to a lot of what David was saying. Um, in terms of like, I, I can in Mexico, guitar is also super popular. I mean, the funny thing is, classical guitar isn't. But you know, because guitar is so popular, when you go to university, you take on classical guitar. So yeah, you end up having, for example, at UBC, there's always been generally just one professor at a time, right? To take on, you know, however many students, no more than I think twelve that I've heard the number, right? Um, in Mexico, I mean, as as probably guys know, I started at the I studied at the university when I was like 
I started studying at the university when I was 15, um, at the same time as high school. And I remember we had at least six teachers, like six full-time professors. And each one of them had to take on at least 12 students. Yeah. So the num numbers wise, it was massive. But to compare that, I have a friend who I'm still in touch with. Uh, he was actually maybe four years ahead of me. Uh, he was already doing his bachelor's when I started doing my diploma at the university. And he went to do his master's in Europe. And then he went back to Guadalajara. And he's struggling, you know, to find students, to find concerts, to find activities that will, you know, financially allow him to actually make a living out of being a, a guitarist. Um, to me, that's a huge contrast. I mean, he has a master's, I have a master's, just based on the location that we're at, I can make a living, right? Maybe not solely of performance, but definitely out of teaching, right? There's enough, mm -hmm. you know, interest in education. So it's very interesting to see that contrast. And I think that it is right. Um, a concert in Mexico will sell easier, sell out a lot easier than say a concert here. Why? I have no idea. But I, I can see that, uh, you know, that contrast. Um, so I think, I think, sorry for interrupt, Luis. I think no, it, it's just because, because the, the Spanish influence, you know, the guitar, classical guitar is come from Spain mm -hmm. and all the, the influence that Spain has, like those countries from Mexico to, to Argentina, except for, for Brazil. I just, mm -hmm. just because of that, just, just part, part of the, part of the culture. Everybody plays plays guitar, even in the town. I, I grew up in a small town, very, very small town. And I was, I was the first uh, professional classical guitarist, like the first guy who went to university and, and I graduated from that, that uh, town. But before me, there were so many, so many, so many people playing, playing guitar, rock bands, folk music, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Even if you go out right. to the, the main uh, plaza, like a big bar, main plaza, you can see in the bars, in the cantinas, everybody just just playing guitar, all music, singing. It's just just part part of the of the culture. And so something else, just very little that I wanted I wanted to add is that something that that is also like different is that many many students in here in Canada, and don't don't misunderstand me. This is not not bad. It's just the way I see it. Many students in Canada, uh, they take lessons because their parents want them to take uh, take lessons uh, but they don't really like for example and sometimes their parents know that their children don't like but they still make them take lessons in colombia is not like that like most most of the students that you get they always like the, the guitar because if they don't like and they don't study their parents are not going to pay for the lessons because it's harder it's just here because it's, it's more stable in, term, in terms of the economy. Some parents have, let's say, a lot of money. They can just pay for the lessons. And if they the children don't practice, it's okay. But in Colombia, it's kind of difficult to pay for lessons, right? So you have to make sure that you study and you like. Otherwise, they are going to say, okay, just don't take lessons anymore because we're not going to pay for something that you are not going to appreciate. Yeah, something yeah. different. This is kind of a, a little bit of a tangent, but it, it really drives me crazy when you hear people say things like, oh, you should take music lessons because it's good for you. 
and God, good for your yes. brain. And like, you're going to get better at math because you take like music lessons. <laughs> it's like, well, you, you know, you could, you'd probably get better at math if you took math lessons, you know, <laughs> like, I, it seems to me like it really obfuscates like the real purpose of like music lessons, which is to learn music. And it, I think it, you know, it's like a thing I see even from like musicians here sometimes, but I think it really hides the real value of music, which is just like learning music for like music's sake, right? To be musical and to be artistic and be expressive. Everything, everything has to have like sort of too much value, I think, when it when it comes to these sorts of things, right? Like music itself is not um, not a kind of like career path, right? Uh, I think in in people's minds, and so in order to kind of justify these music lessons, we have to make it more economically, I guess, like certain that you will get something out of it, like in a, in a real kind of monetary sense, right? So like telling people, oh, yes, well, you will just be like a more diligent worker, or you will be a more, like your, your brain will work better for math, like sets people up to think like, oh, well, great, now my kid will like go and be an engineer if they learn the piano or something like that, right? Which is clearly insane. But like, that is... Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no sort of like respect for just like doing things that you enjoy for the sake of doing things that you enjoy. There has to be like a return. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there is a truth that like, you know, if you learn to work really hard at music, you'll be good at working. You'll have the skills to work hard at other things. But you can say that about like anything, really, yeah, right? Yeah, like, discipline no is reason, discipline. Yeah, there's no reason why it's special and unique to music, I think. Anyways, that was that's like a bit of a tangent, but just it it kind of made me like something sparked in me when Debbie said that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. I was I was right there with you. I'm glad you said it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally see that. It's yeah, it it certainly feels like it can devalue, you know, the um, a music education. You know, just like enjoying music, right? Yeah, it's. I was going to say to David's point, you know, how now we're getting into the whole, you know, education thing, right? Um, it's very interesting because the students that you would normally get in Mexico are students that you could maybe categorize as passionate, you know, for the instrument. Uh, whereas here, the passion needs to be, it's, it's almost like it's on the teacher's responsibility to instill passion on, of the instrument to the student. So it's very interesting how we have that dichotomy, yet here all the more people get more, like you could consider that because of the ease that people have here, more people will have a music education here, yet it doesn't seem to reflect that, um, I guess, upbringing when you talk about selling concerts, yet in, in Colombia there is, like in, in South America there may be that, right? So it's really interesting to, to see these dichotomies of like, where the passion lies, but where does it reflect, right? There is some sort of like psychoanalytic reasoning behind this, but I don't want to try and figure it out right now, right? Yeah. Like you, you meet you meet a bunch of people. Like it's amazing, like how many like pianists, especially I find that you run into, and they have like like an ARCT, right? That they did when they were like seventeen. And they don't like classical music, right? They don't listen to it. They don't want to hear about it. They don't want to talk about it. I don't know. There's there's yeah. some there's something about like these people that are pushed into liking music, 
right? That mm -hmm. like makes them rebel as humans, I think right. are often predisposed to, right? Like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, yeah. I think that there, there needs to be a sort of like restructuring of the way that we think about it for I sure. Well, too, I, th I was going to say like, too, like it's, it's good to like want to instill these things in your children too. Like I, I, I don't really necessarily believe in this idea of like, oh, just kids should do whatever they want kind of thing because they might just end up like playing video games all day. But it's like also, I think like instead of pushing kids into things, you want to like pull them in. So you want to have like investment into community activities and stuff. So if your only exposure to piano is like doing exams, then like where's the fun in that? Where at least like, you know, what we're trying to do with the Guitar Society, creating like fun events for people to come out to and like the picnic things and the social things and stuff like that. Like if you make it like a natural thing where the student is like, has some kind of feedback and praise and they get a sense of like community and they can build friends through doing music instead of like seeing music as a thing that is a barrier for them to making friends because they're just sitting at home practicing instead of being out. You know, I think that's, that kind of feels like to me like a big difference like when David talks about Columbia, it sounds like, well, a guitar sounds like a great way that you can make friends in your neighborhood because it's, it's like a common thing you guys can talk about, right? Where here, that seems to be like a, a thing that we're lacking in our communities a little bit is that like creation of this community that music is a center around. And with that said, come see the guitar <laughs> gala this weekend uh what is it known november 6th at the pyatt hall get tickets at vancouverguitar.org slash events for more information and and, and tickets like i just said <laughs> boy I, I'm, I'm glad you jumped in there Joel, because i'm afraid it's being a little too obvious <laughs> No, man, I mean, I, we we are the biased guitar review. This entire thing has been a big essay-like setup to just convince you that this is the, like, morally correct decision to make, is to come see David Sosa and Luis Medina this Saturday at 7 p.m. at Pyatt Hall. Tickets at... All right, I'm going to stop now, but yeah, you get, you get the point. Well, I think, uh... I think that's probably a good place to wrap up then. Like we bought, brought it a, whole, a full 360 degrees there. Um, you guys yeah. want to say anything? How about, where can people find uh, more info about you guys and your upcoming activities? Rich, you first. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is how it works, right? No, you go. No, you go. Um, I mean, if they want to find more information on me, not like this, not all that much going on at the moment, uh, they can go to my website, uh, medinaguitar.com they can find whatever information i have going on there that's pretty much it yeah same same for me for my website davidsosa.com you can find all the information videos music concepts and i think we can put all this information in the show notes am i right alec that's right i do believe yeah. we can do that so all right perfect if you enjoyed this episode of the heavily biased guitar reviews please uh like and subscribe and share with your friends thanks you thank you guys very much Thank you guys. Fun. Thank you.